You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. was uh, an epically strange year, and that seems to have carried forward into 2021. If we just think about the headlines that we have walked through so far this year, in January we had uh, Americans storming the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Today, in this month, we have eclipsed over 600,000 people who have died from the coronavirus, and for some of you in here, that's really personal because you know one of them. Uh, There are atrocities that are happening all over the world that we don't even know about. We don't hear about the Tigrayan people in Ethiopia who uh, there is a suspected genocide that's happening in this very moment at this very time. Um, Lots of other cool things that are happening in the world. We are more polarized today than maybe we've ever been in our entire existence. Uh, a cost of a piece of OSB sheathing is over $50, if not more than 60 There are zombie bugs that are rising from the dead after 17 years. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like, it's just everywhere you turn, every click that you make on social media, Anytime you watch the news or go to work, you sort of hear a new story and are awoken to a new, unfortunate, difficult situation. And if we allow ourselves to dwell on it, which honestly we've had lots of time in the season to dwell on these things, and sometimes in our dwelling it feels like darkness is just continuing to creep in all around us, and it feels heavy. And we find new and inventive ways to cope and distract ourselves, and so we don't have to feel it. We like to hypothesize, then, on what needs to happen to solve these issues, to solve these problems, to solve these difficulties. And so sometimes we are guilty of saying things, whether they're true or not, if we just had a better government, things would be better. If I just had that... I know things would be better. If these darn kids today would just be a little less selfish, if people would just educate themselves, people are just blind to what really is going on here, if we had people that were more respectful, or if we could just love people, if people could just love one another, then all of our issues in life would be solved, which it boils down to this. If people would just do what I want them to do, this world would be a better place. We all theorize what the world needs, what we think would kind of fix it, but even more than that, we look within ourselves and we theorize what is at the root cause of our own insecurities, of our own pain, of our own anxiety. We look at ourselves every day and we feel insecure, lacking, we sense pain from time to time, and we say things like, If I just had a better childhood, 
if I just had better parents or a parent, if they didn't do that, if I didn't do that, if she would have just loved me, then everything would be different. Now, certainly there are difficult realities and situations that have shaped our life, caused us pain and difficulty, some of which that those of you in this room didn't deserve, and others who have had situations that we deeply grieve about. But the truth is, is this, and this is a hard truth to swallow, that even if those things happened the way that you wanted them to, or all the things that hurt you never actually happened, you would still be in here today theorizing on a slightly different, a little different pain, difficulty, and insecurity in your life. None of our humanistic understandings explain what is at the root cause of a trauma in our life. And what we are about to explain is going to take some time, but it will deal with what's going inside of us. We are currently in this series called The Story of God, and we're explaining and exploring the Bible as a unified story that points to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The whole scripture is about Jesus. Every page, every story lays out a a different understanding of his significance, of his necessity, and his worth. And so we started last week by talking about creation. And in creation, we said this as the big idea last week, that you were made to enjoy God. That that is the very fabric of your creation, that you were made to enjoy God with a caveat, forever. You were made to enjoy him forever, all the days of our life. We may think, you know, uh, that God made us because he needed something to love. God made us out of his fullness, out of his glory, out of his perfection. We testify to him. And so we said last week that we were designed, we were made, created like a mirror that was tilted at a 45 degree angle. That as we enjoy God with our heavenly thoughts about our identity, about our purpose, about our needs, about our uh, securities in our life, as we enjoy him, God is bounced off of our life in a 90-degree angle and cast into the world. That's how we reflect God to the world. As we enjoy him, he comes to be known in the world. Today, it's tragedy because everything breaks. And it is broken so deeply and so tragically that you are still dealing with its effects today. Shortly after God creates everything and says that it's very good, God's supreme creation, mankind rebels and yet is still rebelling today. And so this is our big idea today. This is what we're working for. That we are not imperfect people that need improvement. We are sinners who need a savior. We may think that we have all the wisdom to solve our problems in the world that if people would just listen to us, and we may think that we know all the reasons for the resistance in our life, but the Bible clearly lays out that you don't. Because there's something more deep, more traumatic within humanity, a condition of brokenness that is so 
evident but so underrealized in a life. Even if we had everything that we wanted in this life, we would still want more. And something would still be off. And the scripture reveals to us that until we deal with this issue, every other issue will remain an issue. But if we deal with this issue, all of the issues of our life lose their power and their persuasion. So today I wanna to talk to you about two concepts. I wanna to talk to you about boundaries and I wanna to talk to you about consequences. And we're gonna observe this scripture not from a five or hundred foot view, which we normally do, but from a 10,000 foot view as we try to understand the themes of scripture. And so if you would look at Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, this is how it goes. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die, certainly die. The idea of boundaries is as old as creation. There are lots of different ways that we can categorize the idea of boundaries. One of the ways that we can do that is putting them into three categories. We have first, boundaries of distinction. And so you may think of that as your state border. Boundaries that bring distinction to places. Another category of boundaries might be boundaries of protection. Or maybe there was somebody in our life that caused us pain and you set a boundary in your life to prevent any further harm coming to you. Or you put up a fence to protect your kids from the street. But the last group of boundaries would be boundaries of flourishing. Boundaries that are established to create flourishing and joy. Bedtimes for your young kids would be an example because toddlers are crazy already. And when they don't sleep, they're demons. It's just it's true. I know it. I felt it last night. Boundaries for flourishing create order so that people and things find flourishing in their functions and their responsibilities and their living. And so as we look in Genesis today, we see God creating all sorts of boundaries. And some may share some different aspects of each three type, but make no mistake, all of God's boundaries are flourishing boundaries. All of the order he makes is for our flourishing. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God make day from light, light from dark, water from land, plants and animals according to their kinds, creation in its location, birds in the air, fish in the sea, mammals on the land, fruitful and multiply, all of that order so that his creation would flourish as they enjoy him. And so we might say this, that God's boundaries sustain flourishing. They sustain flourishing. We might read this text in Genesis 2, and we might think like, well, everyone knows that if you tell somebody not to push a button, their whole makeup is going to be obsessed with pushing that button. And so God is setting us up for failure by putting this one thing, because he knows what well, we're going to always think about that thing. 
God is setting a boundary here. Because if mankind is going to image him, if, if we are going to reflect him in our character, in our lives, if we understand God created us to do on this earth what he has done in all of creation, that we reflect him into this world in our ordering, our subduing, our multiplying, our working, our parenting. If we are going to be that reflection of him, you can't do it if you aren't enjoying him. And you can't enjoy him if you don't trust him. God sets a boundary for humanity that is about us trusting him for our joy and flourishing and for his glory. And look, it's not a bad deal. I've I've said this before from the stage. Like it's like God coming to us and saying, All of Bluffton is yours. It's all yours. Enjoy it. Just not this podium. Just not this one thing. Like, that's not a bad deal. That's a good deal. God has willed and created humanity with a need to trust him because he is so pure and so glorious that it is only in him and through him that we ever truly know how to live. Yet we know the story, or most of us do. Humanity has lost its way. And so let's turn to chapter three and hear the heartbreak. We're gonna let the scripture do most of the work today. Genesis one, verses one through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and so desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is heartbreaking. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man... Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, Woman, you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. All of the perfect shalom that was present in the world, all perfect peace in a moment shattered. Humanity in their deception rebelled against God and we are to this very age. The enemy craftily spins God's truth, if you notice. He tempts mankind with the idea that God is holding out on them. 
that God is keeping you from something good. And that temptation proves to be too much. Humanity changes its orientation. Where we were designed to live at a 45 degree angle, enjoying God and his design for us and who he is and his goodness and his grace and his love, humanity in their deception saw themselves more beautiful than God. And we turned the mirror. And all of God's radiance and glory still shines, but yet because we look in the mirror, we live in a shadow. Whether we know it or not, we have grown to love that shadow in ways that we cannot comprehend. And here early on in the scripture, we see these horrific consequences that come from that decision. Justice in some ways, is handing out the right consequence for the right situation. You wouldn't throw somebody in jail for life if they came onto your porch and stole your geranium. That's happened to me, and I sort of wanted it to, but you wouldn't want that. Nor would you give probation to somebody who murdered somebody. Our word records that our God is just perfect in his justice. God is completely just so we know that in anything God does, he is dealing with it fairly. And so when we read about these effects and these curses that will come to us in our rebellion, they will be above all things just. Which brings us to this understanding that the consequences of mankind reveal the depth of our offense consequences of mankind reveal the depth of our offense. Our choice to not trust God, which isn't an Adam and Eve issue only. We are all guilty of that. We have rebelled against God in various ways. Our lack of trust in God is deeply offensive to him, not because our God is simply just, but because he is unshakably good. Humanity has walked outside of his flourishing boundaries and it has been devastated, so devastated that we don't fully understand in our minds just how warped we and all of creation is. Just think about this. We existed with God in a reality, a beautiful abundance, dwelling with him naked, Today, if I were going to tell you that you needed to go and stand in front of a group of people naked, it would be the most horrific moment of your life. All of your insecurities, all of your vulnerabilities, all of your shame would be exposed to the world and it would mark you for the rest of your life. So what does it say about the kind of trust and joy, and wholeness, and security, and satisfaction that we lived in, that we would be naked and unashamed. And not only that, how heartbreaking is it to see our very ancestors hide themselves from the living God, who created them and loved them more than they could ever imagine. That's a fall. And so I imagine the fall sort of like this. It's as if you lived on a deserted island for generations with a people. 
tens of generations. And one day, you were exploring the island, and you came across a field of metal debris and rubber and glass, and you take it upon yourself that you are going to, like a puzzle, you're going to put this thing back together again to figure out what it was. But because you have never experienced modern life, you are limited. You never knew that things could fly in the sky, things could actually sail on the sea. And so you put this thing together, and after the end of a few months, you see these giant things that sticky outy from its side, and this wooden thing that can spin, and some sort of thing where glass or this glass went to. You and I would know it's a plane. But they never knew things could fly. We have a lack comprehension and fully knowing how deeply we have been shaped by the effects and the consequences of the fall. And in these verses, we see shame and insecurity and hiddenness and deception and blame enter into a creation where it did not exist. Not only do we have to live with the effects of the fall, the effects of sin, which had never existed before, but we also have to deal with the consequence of not trusting God. I invite you to take some time of reading the rest of chapter three today. Because you will find the curses and the consequences that are on mankind going forward out of the rebellion with God, because God is good and just. Pain enters the world in which it never existed. Death enters a world in which it never existed. Man and woman who were meant to rule and reign together over all of creation, subduing, ordering, multiplying, now are trying to rule and reign over one another. There are tons of effects that we could see here. That we must understand that the consequences of mankind reveal the depth of our effects. But in the midst of all of this, God first reveals his grace towards us because mankind did not die in that moment even though they surely deserved it. God did not even abandon his creation. In this story itself, we find the promise of a new day, of a new hope, of God remaking creation. God, in speaking to the serpent, the deceiver, says in Genesis 3, verse 15, he says these words, and I will put into me, into me in, okay, you guys say it, enmity between you and the woman and because, between your offsprings and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God reveals that this is not the last word on his creation, that someday one will come born of a woman who will crush the snake, who will crush sin and evil, but he will die because of it. This is God revealing to us the one who will come in the name of Jesus, the future hope of redeeming mankind. That person is Jesus, and the whole Bible is about him. Which means this, we are not imperfect people who need improvement. It's our big idea. We are sinners who need saved. 
No degree of personal improvement, no new habit, no new location, no new object, no new relationship, no new church will fix what's wrong with you. Stopping your bad habits are good, but it will not be that which brings you joy. We need a rescuer, not from others and not from the world, but primarily from ourselves. You can't fix what's wrong with you. Only God can. And I tend to be a tad bit inquisitive. And so as I consider the reality of all this and the way things happened, it's not beyond me to consider why. Like, God, what are your purposes in allowing this to happen? Why did God allow such rebellion? He could have stopped it. Wouldn't it? It have been better if God prevented it all and we still to this very day lived in a perfect creation dwelling with the literal presence of God with us. Yet we also know that when we accept the idea of faith, when we believe in God, we believe that there's an enemy. We also know that we're embracing the realm of the supernatural and the realm of miracles. And so our faith always has to make room in our understanding that there are just some concepts that will always be beyond our comprehension. So it's hard to presume why we failed. But we can presume a lot about the character of God because it reveals it to us in his word. And so the Bible tells us that we have a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, always good, never ceasing. So we can conclude that the fall, this rebellion, was something God would have known about beforehand. It was not a surprise to him, and he had the power to stop it if he wanted to. And we know that he is good and always good. There is no darkness in him. There's not a single flaw in our God. He is unescapably good and unceasingly good, incapable of evil. As we learned last week, all of creation testifies brings evidence to his goodness, his love, his power, his perfection, his purity. Everything is made from him, through him, and to him. Everything is for him. It's about God. We are about God. So we have to presume this on the fall. That one, God allowed the fall. And two, God has good reasons for everything he does. Therefore, God has good reasons for allowing the fall that we don't understand. And because everything is made from him and through him and to him, it would follow, and this is a quote from a professor, a seminarian professor, James Anderson, a world with no fall and no salvation is altogether less God-glorifying than a world with a tragic fall, but also a wondrous salvation. And you might say, well, how so? How is that more glorifying to God? Because in a world where there is no fall and no need for salvation, there is no darkness, there is no evil. And whether you realize it or not, darkness and evil testify about the power of the light and its goodness and its absence. The shadow proves the sunshine. Maybe that's high thinking. It doesn't make sense in your world. Let me just explain it to you this way. Uh, 
Our son Asa was born in January, and there was uh, a several hours in that day that we believed that he was dead. He was not going to make it. And as we were praying, I remember thinking, like, Lord, is this my story? This is, is this going to be my story? That we're going to lose a son full term at birth. And in that moment, uh, an, a thought came over me that oddly produced gratitude. And as I sat in that moment, the worst moment of my life, God stirred in me thankfulness that I could experience the bottom of sadness, that I could realize just how deeply and profoundly and fully I could love something. That is good news. And I am grateful for his grace that allowed me to be designed in a way that I could love something so deeply and completely that I never even had met. It made me realize just a little bit fuller of his love for me and the splendor of who he is. Our darkest moments reveal to us in greater depths, how much we need God, just how broken we are without him. He has good purposes in the fall. And we praise him today for the way that he still pursues us and loves us, not for our own cause, but for his namesake. Because our God is faithful. And we get to witness that today, friends. We get to witness an act that has been done for almost 2,000 years. What is something in your life that you know of that's been done for 2,000 years? We are baptizing people today in the same way that Jesus was baptized in the river, the same way that our ancestors were baptized one day. We carry on that tradition to be overjoyed by the work of God in the lives of others that we express through baptism. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are so many days that we just try to deflect, distract, and theorize the insecurities within ourselves, the problems within ourselves, and Lord, there have been brutal things that have come into our realities, Lord. Lord, we know that even if all of those things were perfect, we would still need you. And so, Lord, will you help us just to see the splendor of what it means to be designed to enjoy you by trusting you? That, Lord, we would surrender all of our fears and our worries to you, Lord, that you, even through our darkness, would help us to realize just how infinite you are in worth and goodness. You minister to our hearts today. Show us where we have not loved you well, not spoken of you well, where we have not given our best to you, Lord, that we might 
see the depths of your grace to us in our weakness, that we would joy, enjoy you and grow more in love with you every day. We love you and we thank you and we praise you and we pray this through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.